Hey, this is your host, Natalie Allport, and thank you for listening to the All In Podcast. Whether this is your first time ever listening or you're a longtime listener, I just want you to know that I really appreciate you being here. Now, today I am honored to sit down with Val Whiting, who is a WNBA legend. She was part of the ABL, which first formed, I believe, in 1996. It then folded, and she moved to the WNBA around the time of its inauguration. So she is an OG pro baller. She's also now a viral TikToker and hype woman to the female athlete. On her TikTok, she posts amazing videos highlighting, featuring, and hyping up other female athletes, as well as giving mindset coaching to impact the next generation of female ballers. In this podcast, we first start off with talking about a crazy story of cyberbullying that actually happened to her. After that, we move into her origin story, how she actually deferred med school to go and play basketball, her career in pro basketball, her experience with depression while she was part of the WNBA, and coming out to speak about it decades later. She also gives great advice for athletes and parents alike, and I just really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you will too. And so without further ado, let's go all in. This is your host, Natalie Allport. And on this podcast, we dive into the mindset, knowledge, and stories behind inspiring and passionate individuals who know what it takes to go all in. So whether you're here for motivation to learn something new or just real conversation, I'm humbled you're listening and stoked to go all in with you. Welcome back to the All In Podcast. Today, I'm honored to be joined by Val Whiting, former pro baller, uh, viral TikToker, and hype woman to the female athlete. Val, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Natalie. Uh, like I was saying before, I'm so excited to finally connect. I love your content on TikTok, and I'd love to start out with asking you, how did you even get started with TikTok? Well, I started back in December 2019, um, with my son, I asked him for help and I did a couple of videos. I really just wanted to speak to athletes. And then I got stressed out over all the content and I, I said, okay, that's it. I'm not going to do it. And then the pandemic hit. Um, and that was March of 2020. And I, I, well, I lost my job and my business because of the pandemic. I said, like, what am I going to do? And I said, okay, I'll go back to TikTok and this let's start doing motivational messages and speaking to athletes. But then I saw that a lot of female athletes were getting bullied on TikTok and I would go in the comments and hype them up. And then I decided to um, dedicate my whole page to uplifting a female athlete. And I call myself a hype woman for the female athlete. So that's how, how I got started. That's so cool. I think it's a lot of people's story is the pandemic happened and suddenly we're gifted with more time to spend online, create the content we want and put out the messages we want. And that's how I found you was literally, I think, on the For You page. And I was like, this is so awesome because I kind of fell into it in the same way where I was noticing, especially as I posted more content about female athlete specific content like the hate comments were insane. And I had one video that went viral and I woke up with 3000 like teen boys. Oh my God. It was horrible. Um, And so that, you know, I think I've read an article where you said at your age, you feel you can take the flack and there's no heat, but it's protecting the younger athletes. And that's how I felt as well. I would love to know your story where I know you had a video that went viral and it got a lot of hate where it even ended up escalating into kind of real life offline. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was um, on my For You page, a video sprawled up about a kid making fun of the WNBA saying that they make less than a Walmart manager. And I was and I commented like, well, well how much do you make? He's like 12. right? Like, you only get an allowance. <laughs> and so he saw my name and went to my page and saw that I was a former player. And then he made a whole video dedicated to me. Um, searching my name, it was like a screenshot of searching my name on screen recording and then Walmart manager and he had my picture. So from the, from there, all those followers, people who saw that video came to my page and started like um, bullying and harassing and I would have live streams. They would, they would bomb the live streams and then it got really bad and really dark when people started coming to my Wikipedia page and editing that going into, mm-hmm. my, it got, they started calling me the N word, different racial comments, a, hey, oh, stay in the kitchen. 
And it, it got really intense all over me being a female athlete and trying to uplift other women. And then they doxed me, got my, found out where I lived, my phone number, so they were coming to my house. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah, it was, and they called me on my cell phone and texted me. It was really, it, it was crazy. And I can't imagine a kid going through that because I was, I was like, is this really worth it? And people were like, why are you still doing it? And I, the reason I still do it because I get comments from girls, little girls, young girls saying um, how much I've helped them and how much, you know, I didn't quit basketball because of a video that you did. So that's what, what keeps me going, even though the hate comments have definitely um, wasn't as intense as, as before, but I still, I still get them. Wow. That is so insane that they found your cell phone number. They're editing your Wikipedia. So first of all, much respect for keeping going. Um, because I remember all I got was, I think people were trying to, um, report my account because I was posting about women's sports. So I noticed like some of my videos stopped sending out for a week. I couldn't post and it was because they were reporting and then they were going to my Instagram and messaging me. And, uh, Yeah, but I, I that's not even close to as bad as yours. But I remember like being really upset and being someone who like none of those things really bothered me. And then all of a sudden it just added up. And I was like, why am I doing this? And so for me, it took a lot for me to like keep going and keep just ignoring it until it went, went away eventually. But there's still some obviously. But for you, much respect for keeping going through the fact that like people were literally almost stalking you. Yeah, I don't. I'm like, why? Why is this upset you so much? I'm still trying to understand why the yeah. why behind it. That that was that's been the biggest eye opener, I think, because what what motivated me to share was some of the experiences I had of being bullied uh, in school for being a female athlete and wanting to beat the boys and compete in sports and just being different. And I thought that it had changed um, and into the next generation. And that made me realize that it hasn't changed as much as I thought. I would love to know your thoughts on your generation when you were going through that age versus maybe what you thought had changed now and what you have noticed hasn't actually changed. So when I was in school, I didn't get any bullying around being a female athlete. And it might, it might've been because I went to all girls high school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm curious if women my age um, who went to um, a co-ed school experienced bullying. And when I, when I was bullied in middle school, it wasn't because of basketball. And I was really bad. I, like, I would score for the other team and like, shoot over the backboard. But I don't remember being bullied for that. So when I, when I heard that girls are being bullied because they're athletes, I was like, really? That's like the coolest thing to be is to be an athlete and, they're, and you're being bullied for that. So that was, it was eye-opening to me that boys still thought like that in 2020, 2021 about girls and telling them to stay in the kitchen and make them a sandwich. Yeah. I was like, what year is this? It's it's mind blowing because I think, you know, I look at people who are parents just a little bit older than I am. And I'm like, I couldn't see them raising their kids with these values. Yet here there are these kids who are young and, you know, knowing their parents are not that that old. And they've clearly raised them with these values or has, haven't stepped in. But it is hard at that age. I think there's a lot of maybe jealousy and animosity in the world right now, even with the pandemic, that it kind of created a perfect storm for people to go online and let out their hate because they see women winning and they know that they can't ever get there. And then they think that they're better than the girl who lives next door to them. So Mm -hmm. why can't they also do it? And it just, it's frustrating because you, you can understand the psychology of where they're coming from, but at the same time, it's just not right. Yeah. And it kind of made me paranoid. I was like, because I have two boys, um, one's 20, just turned 21, 16. I was like, do you think like this? And like, no, mom, I don't know what's wrong with them. It's not that deep and why they're so angry at you. So I had to make sure that, you know, are, they, weren't, they aren't trolling and not trolling, but they, they don't have that, that mentality. Yeah. It, it seems to be kids that don't um, have like the athletic ability or maybe got cut from the YMCA team. And once in a while you get a good kid. But most of that, that would troll and be mean. But the majority of our kids that have 
have nothing going on for themselves besides leaving funny comments on TikTok, which is sad. And I, honestly, I pray for kids on TikTok. They're on my prayer list. <laughs> I, they're like the next generation. I don't want them to grow up to be like angry, bitter people, you know, at 40 years old doing this on Twitter. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. Like you don't see many pro male athletes hating on pro female athletes. In fact, we're seeing a lot of the opposite right now, which is, um, which is obviously better. I, I want to dive back like into your origin story. How did you get involved with sports and then basketball? So growing up, I didn't play any sports at all. Um, like all I wanted to do was just, I ran outside and played outside and tag was my thing. Who's tag? <laughs> I loved it. And, and my dad had a football team and I would be, I was a cheerleader for his football team. And then in seventh grade, um, I was getting bullied a lot and it was, it was actually so bad I ended up leaving the school, leaving the school district. Wow. And I thought if I became a cheerleader, the bullies would like it would go away. And so I tried out for cheerleading and didn't make the team. And and then later that week, my math teacher said, Hey Val, do you want to come out for basketball? And I was like, sure, which is really odd to me because I didn't have any exposure to any sports. Wow. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll come out. And that's how I got started. I was also probably about six feet tall when I was in seventh grade. That's why he asked me. <laughs> I and I was, really, I was really bad. You were What'd bad? What did you say? I said I, I was probably like four feet tall in, <laughs> in when I was that age. I went through a very late growth spurt. But yeah, I love to dive into, uh, yeah, so you were bad at first. That that I've heard that a lot, actually, from some female basketball players, and they picked it up really quickly. Yeah, I, like it's interesting because I didn't watch basketball. My dad would play, like, pick up basketball, but I wouldn't really pay attention when he was playing. My mom even played basketball. Neither one of them pushed sports on me, which I find interesting. I, I honestly think if I were a guy, they would have go. That's another, that's another story. So my dad took a really uh, an interest in me playing. So he would wake up on the weekends and we would go out at 6 a.m. And, and go over drills and run through tires and get my agility going and run sprints. And then he would um, have me playing with grown men. I would, I would be playing with these grown men, pick up basketball. And it was, it was kind of scary and intimidating. It made me tougher. And I remember one instant when I went up, was, I think I was in eighth grade, which was probably about this height I am now, which is sixth grade. I went up for a rebound and um, put, the ball, uh, put the ball back in and shot a layup. And a guy fell. He oh fell. And he was like, you're not a girl. You're a man. And I was like, that hit me so hard because I was just finally accepting being myself and accepting playing, being an athlete and not – and trying not to, to not to be bullied, and I was actually someone said that to me, an adult on the court, so mm-hmm. that I, I will never forget that. And my dad remembers it as well. And I don't remember, I don't remember what he even said to me. He probably didn't say anything to me because he wasn't the one for those kind of heart to heart talks. But it just showed me when I look back how how fragile people can can be with regards to women being strong and, and powerful. Right. That, that's something that stood out to me when you said that, because I, I experienced that as well, where if you're good at anything, suddenly they say, like, for example, uh, people would say, oh, you snowboard like a boy. And it was like, oh, okay. Or you throw like a boy. I used to pitch boys baseball. And I'd be, okay, that's so cool. But then I've realized that's internalized misogyny for me to be like, it's like, I know I want to throw like a girl and it's cool to throw like a girl. And I was watching, um, oddly, I still watch like those Disney channel teen sitcoms. They're, they're yeah. still, they're still relevant. And, uh, I saw one, uh, recently and I think it was maybe like six years old and the, the, the girl, like, I think she threw a football or something. And someone said, you throw like a girl. And she's like, yeah, that's right. And it's better than you. And I thought, that actually is important that she owned that statement and that's what's going to the teen girls that are, that's what they're watching now. And they see her own that. They see her say that instead of saying, I want to throw like a boy, they're saying, no, throwing like a girl is pretty strong as well. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think it's amazing. Um, I have boys and it's still different raising boys than raising girls. It's the same conversations I have with my boys would not be the same conversations I'd have with girls around, around sports. 
in, in their identity. Right. So how did you then go from basically not ever playing any sports to playing to, on Stanford's team and then making it into the WNBA? So um, I went to high school, this small high school called um, Ursuline Academy, Ursuline Academy. It's an all girls private Catholic school and ninth grade. I was still pretty, I guess I was still pretty bad because someone, a coach said that I would never be a good basketball player. I didn't hear it. Someone said, that's what someone said. And I heard that years later, like as an adult, hearing that then I probably would have quit or something. (laughs) And my dad, I think between my ninth and 10th grade year, took me out to the Olympic training center to a USA basketball trial. Back then, anybody could show up as long as you pay the fee. I pay your own your own travel arrangements and all that. So I was there, um, just really starting how to play basketball, playing against like greats that are in the Hall of Fame right now. And I, oh I really God. I shouldn't have been there. Uh, my dad never shied away from opportunity for me to fail. I don't know, maybe he liked it or something. I, I was like, okay, well, I'm here. I didn't want to be here, but I'm here. And I was just I was it was over my head. The drills, the pace, the basketball IQs, but. I think he showed me that so I can see um, where I wanted to go if I wanted to pursue this. And also other tall women like me, that I wasn't around that where I was in Delaware. And I remember one play, it was the only time I scored the whole tryout. Um, It was just for two days. It was two days I was there because I got cut. And I remember getting an offensive rebound and putting it back up. And one of my teammates like patted me on the back and I just felt so awesome. And it was like a glimpse of what I could actually do. Mm-hmm. So the try, it was time to make cuts. And I remember going, um, when you go to the wall, they, they put the people who are, who are remaining. It's not the names, but it's your number. And I looked and my number wasn't there. And I started crying, which I don't know why I started crying, but I did. And the Stanford coach saw me. She saw me crying. And she, I guess she... It put in her mind that I was really competitive. And then she said she also noticed how fast I backpedaled. So that's how I got on her radar. And to be honest, I tell kids that story because you never know what a coach is looking at. You think they're looking at how many points you score, how many rebounds. And she was watching about how fast I backpedaled and the fact that I was, how I reacted to not making a team. And then from there, I went, um, to Stanford I, on, a, on a scholarship. I actually didn't even know what Stanford was. They didn't write me until probably between my sophomore and junior year. And I always wanted to go to California. So it was a perfect fit. And then I graduated Stanford. I went overseas. There was no women's basketball in the United States. So I played in Italy, Israel, and Brazil. And then in 96, a league called the American Basketball League came about. And um, we had all the all the Olympians from the 96 team played in the American Basketball League except for three. Those three decided to go to the WNBA, which wasn't formed yet. And so the American Basketball League and the WNBA at one point were going at the same time. We were, we were during the winter season and the WNBA was during the summer seasons, just for like a 10 to 12 month season. And it was like a battle back and forth. They had all the TV contracts and ESPN wouldn't put all highlights on. So after a while, the, w, the ABL folded. Okay. The ABL folded and we all went to the WNBA. There were only 20 spots available, but 90 ladies had lost their drop jobs oh from the ABL. And so, and then in addition to that, because our players were so good, the WNBA Players Association put limits on how many ABL players could be on each team. So, so a lot of people um, didn't make the cut. And that's how I got to the WNBA from the league fold. And that was 99 when I started. So I was a rookie. Um, I guess I was a rookie three times as overseas and the ABL and then the WNBA. That is so cool to be part of a league when it's first forming. And especially when the U.S. didn't have any professional women's basketball leagues. Where, like, where is the WNBA now compared to where it was then? I'm sure it's like worlds of difference. It, it is. I mean, even just the rules are different. When I, when I played, it was, they played two halves. So it's kind of similar to the college game. Now it's quarters. Now they have three-second um, defense so the game is wide open 
meaning you just, you just can't pack it into paint. That's how it was when I played. Um, I, I think the players, they just seem more, um, I'm not going to say not better, but more advanced in terms of some of the moves they have, some of the things. And every, every year, players, every generation players get bigger, faster, stronger because the technology is better. Right. That makes sense. Stuff they had had access to, I didn't have access to when I played. I think the marketing, honestly, could be a lot better. People don't even know when the season starts at the time. I was watching an NBA game yeah. yesterday, and I was like, well, why aren't they advertising that the WNBA is starting? It was on ESPN. ESPN is with Carissa Games, so I'm really disappointed by that. I almost felt like the marketing was really strong when I played. I remember seeing all the ladies on TV when I was in the ABL. People knew the, the names and the faces, and Nike had a lot of commercials. They were behind women's basketball and, as well as Reebok and Converse. So they were always pushing and pumping names out and becoming names are becoming household names. I don't see the same with the WNBA besides maybe a select few players that people know. Like I think a lot of teenage boys know who Sue Bird is. Right. Or Candace Parker, but they don't know like Melina Deladon, who's probably the best player in the league. Yeah, it, marketing is one of the biggest issues, I think, for women's sports. And it's when people say, well, they're not getting the viewership or this and that. There's it's such a deeper problem. They like to simplify it to that, especially the team boys who like to argue. But it's, a, it's such a deep rooted problem. It's like, well, there's not the marketing that's letting people know that the games are even on. And then they try to pull it back and say, well, they don't have the marketing dollars because people aren't watching. Well, it's it's chicken and the egg. Like I would watch if I knew better when the games were on or if a Canadian TV station had it, or I'm always, I was trying to buy that new Nike Jersey drop and I couldn't yeah. get it in Canada. And oh. it's almost impossible. Like last year I got a WNBA uh, orange Jersey or the- Yeah, I saw it but it, it cost me so much in customs to bring it over. And I couldn't believe that in Canada, why wouldn't we sell this at like one of the stores here or one of like the fanatics Canada or something. I just couldn't believe that even though we don't have a team, people up here still watch the WNBA, still are fans and would be fans if we had more knowledge about it. Wow. I didn't think about that. So now, now when I see you with that jersey on, I'm like, wow, she worked hard to get that. I mean, that that uh, hoodie. She worked hard to get that hoodie. It, it was hard, yeah. Like I really want the uh, the New York Liberty and uh, Ionescu uh, jersey. And last year I was trying to get one. I know they were all sold out. And then the ones now that say equality on them, I really want that one. But I'm like considering just asking someone in the states to buy it and then ship it up to me, and then I'll send the money because it's it's just. Uh, yeah, it's not on the Nike app in Canada. It's not on Nike Canada. Um, and it just, yeah, I think that's a, that's a big difference there because I can buy any men's NBA jersey up here that I want. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like those oh. are going to be sold. I can go down to the sports store and like go to buy any of those jerseys. And of course we have the Raptors, but we still will sell other teams. But when it comes to women's sports, I'm like out of luck with anything. Hmm. That puts it on perspective then. I, I think there's a lot of opportunities for like international marketing for the WNBA. And I hope to see that grow. Where do you see the WNBA going? Um, and even like women's college basketball, because we're seeing both of these things with a lot of spotlight over this past year. So I'm hoping that's going to, you know, take things into the next level. What do I see? I think, um, I know with the most recent collective bargaining agreement, the, the league pledged like, I think a million dollars to marketing a million dollars more to marketing. So well, I was hoping I was going to see better marketing. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> although they did a good job with the draft. I don't know. Did you know the draft was going on? I did, but like until last minute, like it was oh, like last minute and all of a sudden it's like, oh, the draft is on. And I was like, I feel like there could have been a little bit more hype. Yeah. See, that's how, that's what I feel every time I see something. And, and I'm, I'm a fan. So somebody who's not a fan, they probably are, they're not reaching the people who aren't fans yet who, or who may want to be fans. Um, it's, it's come so far. I know with regards to the salaries, when I played, um, I made 30,000 for like my first year. And I know, I think a rookie salary is like twice that maybe now, or maybe three times. I'm not sure. I know the average salary has gone up. It's now a hundred. 
um, hundred thousand, which is the average salary. And I read somewhere the top person is making five hundred. I don't know if that's with um, endorsements or not. And then I also I know that that came from the collective bargaining agreement from last year and. No, the year before last, which raised salaries 53%. Oh, no, maybe it was last year. No, it actually was the pandemic. This was the year before last. It's like the whole pandemic year yeah. <laughs> together. So I, I want to go back to, because I know that you had an opportunity to go to med school and you picked basketball. Could you walk through that decision? Sure. Um, I was, so I was pre-med um, in, in college and you're, I think my athlete, you're not thinking about professional. What I'm not going in as a male saying, oh, well, I'm going to play in the NBA and this is all over. Right. I came in, well, I'm going to be a doctor. So I was pre-med and I was a biology major. And I'd gotten into medical school, um, UCSF, and I said, okay, um, I'm going to go play basketball for two years. I'm going to defer my missions. I'll be back in two years. They're like, okay, cool. And so I went overseas to play and then the ABL came and I just never went back. I just loved basketball that much. And I don't have the people always like, you can go back. So-and-so was 50 and she went back. Like, I don't care. I don't have the passion for it. I'm not doing it. So that's, but I still love science. I still, um, and which is why I was a, I'm a nutritionist, although you can't tell by the way I eat right now. I'm still in that pandemic diet. Um, I love that. And I, I used to own a, a CrossFit gym. No way. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I use like, like my love for science would go into, you know, just that stuff. That is so cool. I had no idea you owned a CrossFit gym. That is what, where was it? And what was it called? It was in Delaware and it was called Game Shape. Game Shape CrossFit. It made you put the CrossFit after it. Oh yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That is awesome. And uh, don't worry about the nutrition thing. I feel you on that. I feel like I studied, so I was never a nutritionist, but working with PhD nutritionists during my CrossFit career and, you know, all these things. And then, yeah, the pandemic happened and I was like, I'm going to eat what makes me happy. (laughs) Did you still do any, any CrossFit at all? Or I guess, I don't know if the gyms were closed for a good time. Um, Our gyms, I think just opened up maybe February or January. Okay. Yeah, I do. I, I don't follow the main page anymore. I I follow this is app called Train Heroic and you can oh, join. Yeah. Uh, you ever you've seen that before? Yeah, you I had a coach that they would use it to program to send me my programming. Yeah. Yeah, so I use I'm on a part of this team. Um they call it your team. I mean, I don't know anybody, but she <laughs> workouts up per every week and um we, we do them and we comment and then the week before last, the last three workouts were from the cross CrossFit Open. And I, I mean, I have to do really scaled down because I'm getting myself back, back in shape. But um, I love it. It's really, honestly, the only way I can work out. I, I Sometimes I try, I'm like, let me, let me back off. Let me go back to traditional weightlifting. And I, I can't. I, I have to do, you know, CrossFit style workouts and the Olympic lifts and everything. There's, there's something about it that former athletes love. I think it's like that competitive aspect and just the way it kind of blends traditional strength and conditioning with always like learning something different. So you're always humbled by learning new skills. Uh, If you're ever up in Canada, I literally just bought across an outdoor CrossFit rig. So it has like an area for pull-ups, for muscle-ups, for I'm going to buy a rope. So for rope climbs. Um, because all our gyms, we just went into another full lockdown. What? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're not doing so good up here. We're, we're Why? What's, what's, what are people doing? Yeah, like, um, I mean, really, no one, I think we thought we were doing better than the States for a long period of time. And then uh, I think it was really that we were comparing ourselves to Trump. So we were like saying, oh, we're better because you guys have Trump and are kind of all going outside and doing crazy things. And then <laughs> as you guys have kind of improved a little bit with the numbers, all of a sudden we're doing the opposite. And I think we never really, we didn't test uh, people flying in at first. So it kind of, we had lockdowns and just the lockdowns have just kind of been mismanaged and people are getting really tired of them, but we have all the new variants now. 
So the numbers are really spiking and we don't have many ICU beds. So um, yeah, we just went into a complete lockdown. Like I actually, I just moved a couple months ago provinces. So I live about 15 minutes outside of Ottawa, but technically it's the province beside and they just closed the borders. So I can't even see my parents because I live on the other side of the, so even though it's only like 20 minute drive away, I'm not allowed to go. They have police manning the borders. It's like a, oh. it's like a police state now. It's crazy. Oh. But yeah, so I'm, I'm at the home workout life. Uh, it's been a long. I hate working out at home. Yeah. I was so happy when a gym, cause I'm a homebody and the gym's like the only place I go to. So when they closed <laughs> that down, I was like, that's the only place I go. That's me too. Exactly. Yeah. For like the last five years, the only time I leave my house is like, okay, in the winter, maybe I'm going snowboarding, but otherwise it's only to go to the gym. Like I don't go to parties. I don't, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's been weird having to kind of mix your home space, especially when you work from home with the gym space, it's hard to get that separation and that motivation. Um, that, that being said, I want to dive into what you do and how you help athletes. So I know you work with a lot of female athletes. How are you helping them or what problems have you seen with them during this pandemic with staying motivated when maybe their gyms were closed as well? Well, what happened was I, because of my, my business that I had was teaching basketball in, in schools at an after school program that taught basketball, but, but also taught life skills. And so they closed down and then tried the zoom way and kids were all zoomed out. And so I started getting a lot of comments about um, on my TikTok about, well, how do I improve my confidence or how do I, how do I bounce back when I make a mistake? I'm I'm so frustrated with myself. And so I decided to get trained in um, mindset coaching for athletes. And so I did that and I started a business with that, which is still growing. And I had my first confidence boot camp where it was just an hour and we, I, I gave them three tips on how to um, have proactive confidence and the girls, the girls loved it. And honestly, I liked it because I struggled as a pair with confidence and I felt like they related to me because sometimes you see professional athletes and you don't like, you, you don't see anything about them struggling, at least on social media. And I, I just try to, at least, and on my TikTok, I try to be as, um, transparent as possible about my struggles with my confidence, um, with my um, depression when I was playing. So I, a lot of that is how I'm helping girls being transparent on TikTok, but also having programs where they can build their mindset up. Because you can shoot all the shots and, and dribble and have the best handles, but if your mind is not strong and you don't know how to bounce back from mistakes and adversity is not going to, you're not going to be successful. Yeah. I, I love that you dove into mental training because I think it's so much more needed now. And it's definitely become more of a hot topic in the sports world, especially over this past year. I think when people couldn't physical train as much where they're realizing that sports are like 90% mental. And um, that's just such an important part of it to train. What are, maybe like three tips for someone to become more proactively confident? Um, one, the one thing is to um, have a, a confidence resume. Um, think about all the things you've done well, big or little, and write, and write it down. And so you can that. always refer back. Um, another way is writing down, knowing the sources of your confidence. So for me, sources of my confidence were um, my training and how I prepared and Maybe my, if I had a, a great game, um, I, I had my confidence went up. We want to avoid people being on the confidence roller coaster. So bad game, you're down. Good game, you're up. You want to be on the, um, on the confidence train. And the last tip, I can't remember what the last tip was. Oh, my goodness. That's crazy. Sorry. Confidence resume. Know where your confidence coming from. Oh, this is a big one. Letting go of expectations. Mm, yeah. expectations doesn't mean you don't um, want to be confident and you expect to do well but some players like would have an expectation if they don't meet the expectation then the game was terrible so I expect to score 10 points I don't score 10 points I'm a failure well maybe you had five rebounds and three blocks right so just about getting rid of expectations and concentrating on the process goals okay instead of saying I'm going to score 10 points I'm going to, every time down the court, be aggressive. I'm going to get open for my teammates. 
on defense, I'm going to move my feet and stay low. So you're concentrating on the technique, technical side of things, not on, on the numbers, which are unrealistic. Uh, yeah, that, that is a big one. I think that's so important because a lot of times I know I fell into that trap. I would write, for example, when I was snowboarding, a list of what I needed to land that day, because I'm like, if I can land this, then next week I can learn the next trick. And that's not really how tricks are learned. Like you can control your effort that you put in, but there's absolutely no guarantee that you're going to learn a trick in one week or one day or one year, even it can take a long time. And then that would be frustrating. And you just stack negative days, negative days, when realistically the mindset I have now is like, I wish I could take back yeah. and look back then and be like, I would have, I tried my best every single day, but yet at the end of the day, I was feeling negative about it when obviously I should have been feeling positive. So I'm so glad that athletes have someone like you, especially when they're at a young age to realize this and teach them this part of it. Yeah. I wish I knew all this because I was so hard on myself as a player and I, I, and I've, I've accomplished some great things and but I never thought it was then it was, it was never good enough and I yeah. wish I would actually and it's, I understand you have to be driven but sometimes you also got to look at yourself and look what you've done and say good job and that's yeah. okay yes now I also appreciate that you you've used your platform to also open up about mental health like you you just mentioned a few minutes ago I would love to know the difference because uh between when you were playing and mental health with sports and now because I think now it's still taboo but we're kind of experiencing a shift where where people are talking about it I would love to know like when you were playing I could only imagine how hard it was to be able to talk to a coach or anyone about mental health as an athlete you couldn't um, in fact, I think I, I want to say they called me unmotivated, like having trouble with motivation. Mm -hmm. So I was on and off the injured reserve my first year in the WNBA um, because of depression. Like I didn't want to go to practice. I didn't want to play in games. And if I was on the bench, I was a starter going in, but then I went to the bench and the coach looked at me to come in and I would, you know, shake my head. No, I don't, I don't want to go in. And I ended up taking the next season off. Um, the whole season because of depression and no one knew that no one knew that until 2020 that's the only time i ever told wow. anyone yeah all that time the only time i ever told anyone was 2020 only people probably knew was my, my husband at the time and my and my parents that's it it was in the paper that I was um out for personal reasons or something Wow, that is that is is so crazy because I think still in this day and age, I was watching a video of uh, a hockey goalie recently, who he I, he was out for some reason. He had to come publicly and try to tell people like, "I'm not out because of depression," or "I am." Like, it was it was just this point that he had to still explain himself to people versus back in the day. I, exactly what you said. Maybe people would put it on as like, "Oh, she has a pulled hamstring," or. This is this happens and it doesn't help the conversation because and now you coming and stating this is probably going to help other athletes who watch and they see your platform. They see what you've done. And now they're more confident to say, hey, I need to speak up for my own mental health and my own wellness. Yeah, I, I, I've gotten a lot of DMs from from young ladies and, and boys um, that said that thank you for speaking out because they thought what was wrong with them because they're an athlete and athletes are supposed to be strong. You're supposed to play through it. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what did you do during that year that you took off to be able to get back to that level of play and be in a, you know, just a better headspace mentally and deal with that depression? Honestly, I never recovered. I played the rest of my career with bipolar depression was undiagnosed. Um, I went on medication, but I didn't do the work with regards to, getting therapy so even though I thought I was better I, I wasn't so I was always up and down I, I have one of my journals when I was playing in Minnesota and a lot of people's like I'm so sad today what's wrong with me and and I never I don't know why I never got the help and I think if that were now I would be getting I would get the help I would yeah. tell the coach something's going on I need I need help right I mean I think you know, back then people were worried, like you said, that they would get called unmotivated or um, that people would, you know, put it as something that it's 
not, right? Like there's nothing wrong with you for being depressed, having anxiety or bipolar, any of these things. It's, it's like anything else. It's something that you can go and get help for. And it's, you know, part of being a human. And it's very unfortunate that people would put this as like, well, you're an athlete, so you shouldn't have this. You're a superhuman or um, you need to be tough or push through. I'm really, I'm glad that there's people like you who are changing the conversation. And I'm glad that this, hopefully this next generation doesn't have to live with that where I'm, I'm hoping now coaches are proactive and they make a safe space for athletes to speak about their mental health openly. Yeah, thank you. I, I think it's, it's going to be, it's harder for male athletes because they're supposed to be, you know, the man's man and, you know, men don't cry and man up, all that stuff. So that's, that's, that's the challenge for me raising, um, raising boys is to that balance between, you know, being strong, but also being sensitive and in touch with, with your feelings without being called, you know, a punk or, or simp, whatever the words oh, <laughs> you know what's so funny when uh someone yeah someone uh, commented there was when I posted about women's sports one of my friends uh he was a former pro baseball player he commented something and someone called him a simp yep <laughs> and and he I don't even know if he responded to that he like didn't care but I was telling my boyfriend I was like hey like people are calling people simps and he's like my boyfriend's like what's a simp and so he looked it up and uh he's like oh that's not a bad thing I'm a simp <laughs> I thought that was so funny. I was like, how, uh, how interesting. All these people yeah. are using it as an insult. My boyfriend's like, oh, I'm, that's no problem. Like, <laughs> so, I know. Anytime a, a boy gives me a compliment, he's called a simp. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, who are these kids? I'm like, you're not going to, you guys aren't going to have any girlfriends. You're no. living in mom's basement at age 40. Oh, especially like seeing the the voice that Gen Z girls have now and like how they're using it. It's just so empowered at their age. I just didn't have that voice. Like I'm, I'm finding it now to speak about the things I went through then and they're mm-hmm. speaking about it while they're going through it. And so they're not going to take that from some boy who's like no. calling people simps. They're just not going to even accept it. No, they're not. They're funny. I, sometimes I read the comments that they, I actually, unfortunately, try to respond to everybody, which I need to stop doing. But sometimes the, the arguments they're having, my comments between the boys and the girls, is just really funny. Oh man, <laughs> the I stuff can... they say to each other. The girls <laughs> are always putting them in their place. Yeah, that it, that's that's a big difference. Like culturally, that's a shift that's happening. So I hope that's going to improve because I think the boys some of their motivation especially as they go through puberty is like to get a girl so if the girls are being strong and showing this example it will create change with the boys because they do want to get a girlfriend they don't want to be single forever so they're going to have to start learning about things like feminism and um what it is to be like a respectable and just nice guy like it's a bad thing to be a nice guy yeah, it's, it's so, so strange. So sp- speaking about parenting, you were talking about parenting your sons. And I saw a hilarious video that you created about um, like, uh, just like a bad basketball mom. And I know here in Canada, we call them like the crazy hockey parents. Oh, oh since hockey's good, yeah. Yeah, so um, there's always that crazy parent, right? Who thinks their kid is going to the, the show or the, the NBA, the NHL, whatever it is. And may- maybe they are. But we have some parents listening and I know parents are probably still so passionate about their kids and the success of their kids. How can parents kind of be that passionate about their kids' success, but step back and not cross the line of toxicity? I think it's key um, to move from being a coach, because a lot of us try to coach our kids more to being a fan. Mm. I think that's the, the biggest thing. And that was hard for me too. And my boys, I have one son, he plays college soccer. And my youngest son, um, who probably, he plays, he used to play soccer. And he was really good. And I think that I was too, and I didn't even know about soccer. When I was trying to coach him, instead of being a fan and saying, you know what, I liked how hard you played with that. You know, things like that, instead of, well, why, why didn't you do this? And the, the biggest, the hardest thing for a kid is that car ride after the game, the car ride home after getting the parents talking about the, the game. Now, I think it's okay if the kid brings it up. Hey, dad, hey, mom, what'd you think? 
But if they're silent and they're not talking about it, they just had a bad game, just like you had a bad day at work, you don't want to talk about it at that moment, res- you know, respect that as, as well. So I think it's big being a fan and being a parent and knowing that sports is also about um, not just about winning, but it's also about the life lessons they're learning as well. And think about that. Think about the big picture. And I, I was reading this thing called um, this, the 10, 10, 10 method. And I, and I can't remember who made it, but it was like, will it matter 10 minutes from now, 10 months from now, 10 years from now? And, and think about will that game matter 10 years from now? And if it does, how you want your child to look back on how you handled what was going on in his or her sports life. Mm, yeah, I think that's huge because kids will remember that moment. What what was said, exactly like you said, in the car ride home. And I know I can remember like things that my parents said. And I have emails that my dad sent me when I was at competition that I still have saved in the notes of my phone. It was like a decade ago. Um, that just meant so much to me. And it's those little things that you remember, whether they're positive or they're negative. So I think as a parent, it is important to realize the influence that you have there with, you know, your kid in life and in sport. These are the memories that they're making. And it could be really toxic memories or it can be really positive memories. Yeah, I remember reading a comment. um, A young lady said her mom treats her differently when she plays well. Mm. And, and she plays badly, she is mad at her. Ah. That was so, so sad. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's hard. And I, I think sometimes we get maybe the motivation piece wrong as maybe parents, they look at the kid and they think that's a way to motivate them. Like you want your parent to be nice to you and friendly and loving. So you get motivated not to have a bad game, but it's, it's really how you handle those bad games that define you and the memories that are made. And so it's not really the best way. I think we have a lot of scientific evidence now that that negative reinforcement isn't the best way to motivate people. Yeah. And dogs. I'm feeding my puppy. (laughs) Oh yes, that is true. I know. And there's so much stuff that you get told like, Oh, if your dog does this, you should negatively tell them this. And it, no, it doesn't, it doesn't really work. And it just creates a negative relationship with your dog versus, you know, treating them with love. And they have a short-term memory too, but very, very short. So if you're punishing them, sometimes they just don't even know why. So they're not really learning if they're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Yeah. My, my dog and I go to, um, we go to doggy school in June. That's awesome. I, I never took my dog to doggy school, but maybe I should have, but she's. No, uh, no. He has issues with, he's a puppy, but he doesn't like people. And I, I think it's because of, he was a pandemic puppy. So we were isolated. So anytime he sees a person, he's barking. Just uh, always barking. So we go to park, he's barking, barking, barking. So we're work, we have to work on that with him. That's interesting. My, my dog is the opposite. She like is a people lover, but she doesn't like other dogs. And I think what happened was the first day I got her, uh, I got her kind of, some people get her, get their dogs at like around eight weeks. I got her at 12. So immediately I brought her to the CrossFit gym. Uh, I think before I even brought her home so she could meet everybody and like love people. Um, so she was surrounded by people from the get go, but then with other dogs, her first experience was kind of negative. She had a dog that kind of bit her ear um, at the park. So now it's just, it's so hard to try to get her to make friends with dogs. My neighbor has a dog and we're trying and my dog just like, she just growls at her and then she'll go up to the neighbor and like, ah, (laughs) it's so, so interesting how dogs have that strong personality. I know. And and my dog loves other dogs. Yeah. 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 People. It's crazy. Yeah. So I hope he gets out of it. Yeah. You feel like like that bad dog owner, like what what the crazy dog. That's how I feel if I bring my dog to the dog park because she's so like she looks like a teddy bear. She's so cute and she runs up to other people, but then their dog goes to play with her and she just she won't ever like she's harmless, but she just growls at them. And I'm like, I just feel so bad. And then often they blame their dog. They'll say, Oh, I'm sorry, she's being aggressive. And I'm like, no, she's just a scaredy cat of all the dogs and she just is nervous. <laughs> yeah. So she's I cute. Have, I've seen her. 
Oh yeah, she uh, she's yeah, she's adorable. <laughs> I like that video you you did with her. I'm passing the phone to the person. Yeah, that was good. Oh yes, yes. Well, she my boyfriend works all day, so I'm like home training, making videos, and she just like laying there. Like, are you gonna play with me? Like, how come I don't have your attention all day? Because I I've always worked from home, so she's just used to me like. I, I can't always give her the attention versus my boyfriend. The minute he's home from work, it's like all time for the dog. And so she's like obsessed with him. And then with me, oh. she, she's sassy sometimes. So uh, yeah, I thought it was funny because I'm sure, I mean, it's fun to put thoughts into your dog's head because we all think that our dogs are like little humans and they're, they're thinking things, but who knows? They could, they could be the opposite personality that we actually think they have. I might do that with my dog. If I can get him to sit there, I don't know. <laughs> that was the hard part yeah she was always trying to run away she was trying to she wanted to play she thought it was her playtime. I'm like no 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 come back we're filming a video <laughs> so I have two questions I like to ask everyone at the end um the first one is of all the things that you do every single day what is the one biggest daily game changer for you um when I do it it's um I started um praying more in the morning that's and getting getting my focus off of me and onto God so that's that's been game changing for me just the, the discipline to do that awesome yeah I think most people answer something that they do in the morning and whether it's you know something spiritual something religious or something just something that gives themselves time and like some sort of affirmations or something that gives them some energy or um just connection before you go out and have to connect with the world in all these crazy new ways. Um, the last question I have is say you're at the end of your life, you're looking back on the impact you have made. What is that impact that you want to make over your lifetime? Um, I want to reach and empower over 1 million girls. I love their confidence. That's awesome. Well, you're over a hundred thousand on TikTok now, and I'm sure your videos have reached millions somehow. So uh that the you're you're well on the way there for sure. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been great. Uh, it's always fun connecting with people that you meet on TikTok during the pandemic. And so I appreciate you sharing your insights from your career, from the work that you do helping female athletes, as well as as a parent. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Hey, I think that the greatest gift in life is presence. So thank you so much for gracing me with your presence of tuning in to this episode. Now, something that I would appreciate a ton and would help this podcast keep growing is if you, one, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media so more people can find the podcast and hopefully we can help impact more people. As well as number two is if you can leave a rating and a written review. That means so much. And once again, thank you for being here.